Uh, we're going to go ahead and read today's passage together. If you're, if you're watching from home, this is Acts chapter 7, uh, verses 54 through 60. All right, so if you would please join me in reading. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Will you bow with me? This morning, Father, we are here uh, together enjoying uh, our, our our presence in, in your throne room, Lord. Uh, just being so thankful to be in your presence. God, we are thankful to be in one another's presence. I love seeing the, the faces of the congregation. Um, what a blessing it is, Lord. Um, some folks have been back from traveling. and um, It's just it's good to see them, Lord. We, we ask in Jesus' name that today we will take something away from this message, God. I, I am convinced that this is the message you want preached. And I pray, Father, that this is what uh, reaches into each person's heart and does something that then, and flips a switch or opens eyes in some way, Father. We thank you for your goodness. And we ask in Jesus' name that each person will be able to not only take these things with them, but be able to spread them in their community, at their home, in their workplace, be able to grow and be stretched. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. All right, please be seated. Um, good morning, church family. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the kids just a few minutes. There's a bunch of pictures. I think there's eight of them hidden in this, uh, this slide. While we adults remember how the story went that led up to this passage, um, our protagonist was an early church deacon by the name of Stephen. You remember he was, uh, he was a, a servant, a minister in the church. And uh, <clears throat> God had been using him in tremendous ways. Stephen, he had been uh, performing miraculous signs, and he had been preaching the gospel. Well, the religious powers that be in Jerusalem, they didn't like Stephen, right? Because they, they just couldn't win an argument with Stephen. And so uh, when it came to Jesus, they hated that, so they arrested him. They falsely accused him of blasphemy. And then last week, we read his rebuttal speech, which it starts out, with a, a really truncated version of the history of God's people. And then it ends with a, a scathing rebuke, right? It, it's aimed at the religious leaders themselves. He's, he just cuts them to the quick. Um, and he accused them of being like their fathers who murdered the prophets, which was true. And he accused them of betraying and murdering the Christ, which was also true. And he accused them of always resisting the Holy Spirit of God, which was true. And that's where we're going to pick up today. With the passage that we just read. Now, the, the title here of, of this message, it's an attempt to kind of nutshell the, uh, the main application that we can take from this story. Uh, and the main points are connected to it, but there's also going to be a secondary underlying theme in, in today's sermon. And it's going to be important for us to recognize, which is that the enemies of God hate truth. The enemies of God hate truth. And this is something that, that we will continually see. 
as we read through today's story in the book of Acts in general, uh, we also see it in the world around us. We see that, that the enemies of God hate truth. And it's going to be perhaps more, more personal uh, for us that, that we're going to see this in the near future. And uh, anyway, so truth is threatening to the enemies of God. That's why they don't like it. They don't like it because it threatens the way that they view things. It shakes their claim to authority. It shakes their claim to, to their perceived goodness. And they fear it. So while we're going to spend the majority of this time on the concept of focusing on Jesus, we're also going to return periodically to this point, okay? That, that the enemies of God hate truth. Because this story shows the lengths that the enemies of God will go to in order to keep from accepting truth. We're going to go back to verse 54. Now when they heard these things, this is talking about Stephen's accusations against them, which were true while their accusations were false. Um, they were enraged and they ground their teeth against him or at him. Now, this is a weird statement to us. Right? Like when you're reading Shakespeare and it says, how many of you actually read Shakespeare? But when, when you're in high school and you read Shakespeare... Um, and he says, I bite my thumb at thee. And you're like, what does that mean? That's kind of what, what grinding or gnashing your teeth that somebody was. It was, it was you know, we, we think that's weird because we don't look at people and go, you know, when we get upset with them. But that's what they used to do, okay? Uh, we, we have other ways of, of visually expressing our displeasure that they didn't have. But to the Jews, grinding or gnashing your teeth was a sign of insult, of judgment, of furious anger, even hatred. And it wasn't a thing that was, that was to be taken lightly, and it wasn't to be done lightly, okay? Um, nobody was on the fence in that room about Stephen, right? Nobody was like, you know, I don't know how I feel about this guy. They were all really, really upset because he'd spoken a painful truth, three of them, in fact. And as enemies of God, they hated the truth. And it's the same way today. Some people hate the truth when the truth is spoken. So when that, whenever that truth is spoken, they become enraged at the person speaking it. And this is apparent today in a lot of the discussions that you've probably seen online. It's apparent today in opinions that are expressed in the media. It's apparent today in the violent encounters between law enforcement and lawless people. And we shouldn't be surprised, folks, if there are people who, who, who get completely bent out of shape at us because of our willingness to hold to biblical truth and to stand up for that exclusivity of Jesus Christ as being the only way to the Father. The world doesn't like that. In fact, it was, it was Jesus himself who made this, this frightening but strangely comforting statement. If the world hates you, he said, know that it hated me before it hated you. And then he goes on to say, if you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And that's John 15, verses 18 and 19, just in case you want to look that up later. As we, can, as we can clearly see in our text today, the Jewish religious leaders in that moment, they were infuriated by Stephen's bold and uncompromising truth. But he didn't even seem phased. By their reaction. In verse 55. But he full of the Holy Spirit. Gazed into heaven. I, I mean he's, he's looking. He's not even paying attention to these guys. He's looking up into heaven. And saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Y'all this is incredibly cool to me. You know he, he's surrounded by people that are furious with them. But, but they're not even on his radar. 
Because his focus is, is no longer on what's happening down below, but it's on what's happening above. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, folks, this, this is before Colossians had been written, right? And, but Stephen already knew what it meant to set his mind and his heart on things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. You remember those, the scripture we opened with this morning? It's, uh, the first four verses say, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's an amazing, wonderful promise. Well, Stephen, he, he was mentally and spiritually in that space. He was already there. I mean, you, you've probably heard it said that a person can be too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. You've probably heard that, right? But, but I, I've read and I've experienced that people who are the most focused on the things above are the ones that can do the greatest good in this life, who have the least fear, who can ride out the storm. Reading what Stephen says here, do you get any sense at all that he's perturbed? I mean, does he seem upset about what's going on? No. No, he doesn't. And I think we can share that same kind of, of peace and courage in the face of adversity if we are truly focused on Jesus. So I'm going to make a suggestion to each of you and, and, and to myself, based on this passage. If you really want to focus on Jesus, start with gazing into heaven at him. Now, frankly, we're probably not going to see Jesus in his glory with our physical eyes on this side of death, like Stephen did. But we can see him with our mind. We can see him with our heart, as Scripture says, to set your hearts and minds on things above. We need to look upward to see it. You know, we need to get our, our, our minds and hearts untangled from the mess, the muck and mire that's all around us. We need to disentangle. When we picture Jesus in his glory, I think it's a reminder that we're going to be with him one day, that we're going to be partaking in the glory of Christ as he is with the Father. And scripture says that. It talks about partaking in his sufferings that we may also partake in his glory. But see, don't discount the possibility, okay, that God would give you, would give you that same vision of Christ in heaven like he did Stephen. In fact, there's actually, there's written evidence that there have been martyrs all throughout the history of the church that were blessed with a powerful vision of Christ as they were being tortured, as they were being killed. We can read about this in the annals of history. In fact, it, it, some of the martyrs would speak about it, just like Stephen did. And apparently their response in those moments, this is so cool to me, it was so full of peace. It was so full of, of, of trust and of grace that people watching them die, some people were converted as a result of their faith in the face of this death. That's a powerful thing. How is that even possible? I mean, how, how could their minds, how could our minds and hearts be so 
unwaveringly focused on Jesus. Well, we have a good example right here in Stephen. First of all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what happened to Stephen in that moment, right? He, he already had the Holy Spirit's indwelling, you know, just, just as every person who belongs to Christ must have the Holy Spirit. What does Romans 8 say? You probably looked at that this morning. It, it, you know, if anyone who, is, uh, uh, who is belongs to Christ must have the Holy Spirit of Christ, right? So, God gave Stephen an outpouring of the Spirit at the point where it was needed to keep him focused. So he had the indwelling Holy Spirit, but then it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So on the one hand, we, we know that God is capable for providing strength for us in the moments that we may be called on that we're going to have to transcend human endurance. Guys, we do have a breaking point, but God does not. Okay? So we understand that on one hand, but it's also, it's also something that I, I believe we're supposed to strive toward in our regular Christian walk as well. I think we're supposed to, to try to be filled with the Spirit. Now you say, well, you know, why would you think that? Because we're commanded to in Scripture. Did you know that? Did you know in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, I think it's verse 18. It is verse 18. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that odd to be commanded to have something done to you, but it's scriptural. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this, this seems, like I said, it's a little odd to be commanded to have something done to us, but not if you think about the fact that God desires that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, if we ask for anything that's his will, he says he's going to give it to us. So seek to be, to be filled, seek to, to, to be full of the Spirit, church. Ask the Lord to, to provide us with an overabundance of the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus himself said, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? And he specifically says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask in Luke. We should be asking for this. So be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow yourself to be awed at the glory of God. Be awed. You know, some, sometimes I'm, I'm tempted to be awed at the, the obstacles, right? At the dangers that are around me. You know, I mean, you are too, right? If we're honest, we're awed sometimes. We're shocked, not in a good way, by how big our obstacles seem to be. And, and you think, though, maybe sometimes we focus a little too much on the wind and the waves, and we lose sight of Jesus? I mean, just... I want you to think from, in fact, I'm going to ask you um, to picture in your mind's eye, if closing your eyes helps, some of you already have your eyes closed, so that'll be easy for you, um, then I, I want you to picture in your mind's eye the most breathtakingly beautiful thing you've ever seen. Maybe a sunset or, or you know, a, a double rainbow, a waterfall. I, I mean, I, when, I, when I do that and I try, I usually will picture something like, when I looked at the Continental Divide from on top of a mountain in Colorado, it was just absolutely breathtaking. And now I want you to picture the most incredible display of power that you've ever witnessed. Maybe if you witnessed it in person, maybe it was a, a tremendous thunderstorm or, or a tornado. Um, you know, Shannon met a guy a while back who had actually, he was a very old gentleman, and he had actually been one of the guys that sat down in the trench with the big black glasses while the atomic bomb was tested close by. You talk about a display of power. 
Now, now what I want you to do is take all, take all of that emotion, okay, that you feel when you see that most beautiful thing and combine it with how you responded to that most powerful thing and then magnify that by a gazillion, okay, and then recognize that is still only a shadow of the right response that we should have in the face of the glory of God. He is far more beautiful. He is far more powerful. He's so big. He hung the moon and stars in place, Scripture says, like works of his fingers. And and yet he was so intimate that he wove you together in your mother's womb. That is a God deserving of awe. Not awe, but, but awe. Be awed at the glory of God. And if you're having trouble seeing it, then read the Psalms and and pray for a deeper revelation of what David understood and understand who God is. Because when we see God as he is, everything else will truly pale in comparison. Okay, It's, it's like that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth, what? They grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's keep reading. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Okay, we're going to pause there for a minute. Um, Once again, we're reminded how the enemies of God hate truth and how they respond to it. Uh, I want to just quickly, let's examine the the behavior, okay, of these religious leaders. First, first we see that they cried out in a loud voice, okay? Enemies of God will always try to drown out truth when it's presented. Their hatred of the truth is such that they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want other people to hear it. And so they'll try to shout it down. But since, you know, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for us, <laughs> Lies aren't always loud enough to keep truth from being spoken. And so those who hate it will usually also shut their ears against the truth, just as these religious leaders did, right? Their their hearts were so closed and their minds were so closed that they covered their ears too. Like little kids, right? People, People do the same thing today. You know, if they no longer want to entertain an idea that conflicts with their perspective, they will refuse to even hear it anymore. And it's, you know, it's like a picture of a child with his hands clamped over his ears, shouting, la, 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 I can't hear you, la, la, la. I mean, that, that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. That's basically what was going on here, except with a whole lot more aggression and with grown men, which makes it a lot more sad, right? Because they rushed at Stephen, they, they grabbed him, dragged him out of the city, and began stoning him to death. So if all else fails, if covering your ears and shouting doesn't work, then what you got to do as an enemy of God is try to destroy, try to crush the truth. Enemies of God will always try to stamp out truth. And we're seeing that in a lot of ways right now in our nation. I'm not just talking about social media. I'm not talking about just mainstream media for that matter. Did you know, did you know that Apple blocked an app from the Christian group Exodus International that exists to try to help people to who want to leave the gay lifestyle. For people that want to leave, Exodus International created an app 
so that people who want to leave a lifestyle of practicing homosexuality can learn how to follow Jesus and turn away from that. And Apple refused to carry it. There is such hatred for the obvious truth that people can change. Some people don't even want others to know that the option exists. You know, in in every era, there, there have been some who want to know the truth and others who want to create their own truth. If people fall into this idea that truth is subjective then they'll believe that they can ignore or or even destroy truth that they don't like. We must not allow ourselves to be silenced, church. Okay, reading on. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, this is the famous Saul of Tarsus, who later became the apostle. All right, yes. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this verse, but there are a couple of important things to quickly note. First, The person who watched over the cloaks of the people that are doing a stoning, that wasn't like a modern-day equivalent of a water boy. He was more likely the person presiding over the actual death. He was the the guy in charge. So Saul was, in effect, the main force behind the first martyred Christian, because that's who Stephen was. He was the first martyred Christian. Secondly, this is a reminder that we never know whose heart God might awaken. You know, this past week in Afghanistan, the Taliban has been rounding up people who were interpreting for the U.S. Special Forces. Somebody gave them a list of names. And so they're rounding them up and and for the purpose of executing them, of killing them. And it is possible that within this group of murderers, there is a Saul of Tarsus. Think about that. So please continue to pray, not only for the people of Afghanistan that are being oppressed, not only for the Americans that we're trying to get home and for for the families of those Marines who have died, but pray that God may raise up a Saul from within that group of wicked men. Do you believe he can? Pray that he will. Saul's story is going to come later. So for now, back to the passage. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And what we see here is that that Stephen's focus on Jesus came from a very real trust in Jesus. Okay? He, He had very strong faith. I mean, it's easy to talk about trusting in God when things are going well, right? But but it's it's not always quite as simple to trust when you're surrounded by people that are planning to kill you. You know, unless, of course, your trust isn't based on your circumstances, but rather based in who Jesus is and in what God did through him and in his promise of eternal life to those who are faithful, who remain steadfast in the faith. And what what we see here is, is in Stephen, we see a stark contrast of a person who is trusting in Jesus rather than succumbing to or even entertaining fear of man. Right? And I want to pause there for a minute. Um, have you ever sat down and thought about just how many times a day you compromise for the sake of not upsetting someone else? I mean, it's a very personal question, right? I'm 
not asking anybody to raise your hand with the number of times or anything, but, um, but I, I love how vocal you are. Thank you so much. I, it's wonderful. It really is. It's wonderful. Um, just think about how many times a day, and I'm not talking about like, you know, about being gentle or being discerning to keep from picking a fight. I mean, that, we're supposed to do that. That's what peacemakers are supposed to do. But I'm, I'm talking about compromising your own integrity by telling a lie or by omitting, uh, you know, some important truth because it's easier just to keep from rocking the boat. My question is, are we letting our lives be dictated by our calling or by cowardice? I mean, think about that. It, it's, it's a sobering question, right? And it's clear here that, that from his total lack of compromise, it's clear that Stephen trusted Jesus more than he feared the ramifications of upsetting people. Right? Now, now here's the rub. Here's, here's the thing, though. There are usually uh, some really, there, I shouldn't say usually perhaps, but there are some very well-known, very, very famous, very cool stories where somebody in the Bible uh, was doing something right and God steps in and he saves the lives of those people because they're standing up for his truth. I mean, you think of Daniel in the lion's den. You think of, you know, Rackshack and Benny in the furnace. Um, you, you think of uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Okay, but most of the time, that's not the way it happens. Most of the time, God doesn't send down fire from heaven. You know, a person who refuses to compromise their, their faith in Christ is going to suffer consequences most of the time, just like Stephen did. And I want you to do, imagine for a moment being stoned to death. It's probably not a pleasant way to die, right? I mean, you know, there's one author that said, uh, when I die, he says, I, I hope I go peacefully in my sleep like my grandpa did and not screaming like the other three people in his car. Um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, though, it'd be nice to go quickly and painlessly, right? Wouldn't it? Being beaten to death with large rocks does not, that's nowhere near the top of my list of ways that I would like to die. And yet, Stephen, he doesn't seem agitated by his impending doom. It doesn't seem to bother him at all. I think that's because he didn't expect something. Listen, this is important. I don't think he expected something different from what Jesus promised his followers, right? Jesus said the world will hate you. He said following me means taking up your cross, right? And, and, and the real perks of faith in Christ aren't in this life. One of the worst titles of any book, allegedly Christian book, ever written was Your Best Life Now. Fail. If your best life is now as a Christian, you're in trouble. His faith is expressed in that Stephen trusted Jesus not only with his life, but also with his death. And like him, you and I, we should trust in Jesus to receive our spirit when the time comes. I mean, after all, it's his anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, our, our spirit came from him. It returns to him. And if we belong to him, then we'll forever be with him, which is wonderful, right? I love, I love the parallel here, too, between Stephen and Jesus. Uh, and this isn't the only one. Do you remember? The Lord made a similar statement. From the cross, he was quoting from, uh, I want to say it was Psalm 34. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong there. And, and maybe Stephen was too. You know, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I mean, to whom else? <laughs> to whom else should we commit our spirit? Right? 
in death as in life, we belong to the Lord. If we're focused on Jesus, we shouldn't be afraid to die. Amen? And if we're not afraid to die, we shouldn't be afraid to live. Right? Let's keep reading. Last one. Verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's an interesting turn of phrase there. He fell asleep. We're going to come back to that in a little while. But, but first, note what Stephen did here. Okay? And keep in mind, he was full of the Spirit when he did it. Okay, Because his focus was on Jesus. Because of that, Stephen glorified God even in his death. I mean, think about it. We, we know, okay? We know that, that there are eyewitnesses because the Bible mentions them, right? In fact, one of them was Saul, you know? And there were others. And despite the, the fact that there were obvious false accusations made against him and he was in this kangaroo court, Stephen showed right in front of God and everyone, he showed the character of Christ through the whole ordeal. Now, church, listen. If we keep our eyes on the Lord, okay? If we keep our hearts and our minds set on things above, we are sure to have a strong public witness, like Stephen did. And I know most Christians probably fear that we wouldn't be able to do what's right if we were put under that kind of pressure. But listen, if the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have access to that same infinitely deep well of strength that Stephen had. And, and like he did, we can confidently call on Jesus. I love how Stephen does that. I mean, he doesn't just say it. He doesn't whisper it. He cries out in a loud voice, Lord, who's he talking to? Right, he's talking to Jesus. You know, and the guys that are stoning him know that. I mean, can you imagine just, just how confusing this would have been for them in retrospect? I'm sure in the heat of the moment they were just happy to, to stone the guy to death. But, but to think back on that and, and, and to think that in the midst of hurling rocks at them, none of them got to see their enemy, this truth speaker. They didn't get to see him defeated, did they? No. I mean, they may have broken his body, but they didn't break him. None of them got the, the satisfaction of hearing him beg for mercy or, or angrily call down a curse on them. Instead, they hear him loudly petition Christ on their behalf. I mean, talk about a witness. That's amazing to me. They didn't, they didn't even... It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense unless one of them was near the cross. And then it might make sense. He might remember. Because surely anyone who had been near the cross would recognize that Jesus, what, what he said on the cross, was being imitated by his follower, Stephen. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The most Christ-like thing that any Christian can do is love our enemies and forgive. Forgive those who mistreat us because we live and speak the truth of Jesus. Because the fact is, my friends, our haters are captives to the devil. And they are captives to the deceptive philosophies of this world. And it may be through the forgiveness of their victims that they learn the power of God's mercy. It's on us. 
It's on us, church, to show the world the love of God through the grace of forgiveness. It's on us. And why not? I mean, we, we know what really happens. We know what happens if they take our lives. We get real life. Right? So break the cycle of hatred and anger by loving and by forgiving. If we're able to forgive our enemies, they never really win, do they? And my phone said, oh, good grief, right when I said that. Thank you, phone. <laughs> they never really win. And God may even use our witness to win them to him. Anyway, I like this last line. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a cool way. What a neat expression to mean that his physical body died. Because the term falling asleep is a euphemism for dying in the New Testament, but only with regard to believers. It's never used for non-believers that I'm aware of anyway. Because for the believer, it's like falling asleep. And then we wake up to a whole new existence. You ever had a crazy dream and you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm so glad that was just a dream, right? You done that? I, I had a dream last night. <laughs> that Danny got attacked by a rabid armadillo. And uh, it was a really weird dream. All the elders already heard this this morning, and they're going, oh, but, but I woke up and was like, oh, I'm glad that wasn't real. Um, when we are finally done with this life, when we're finally done, we're going to wake up and view the face of Jesus, and we're like, oh, I'm so glad that that's not real. I'm so glad that this is my reality. That's what we were made for, church. That's who we are. We're children of a God who loved us so much he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That's amazing. He raised him from the dead and proved that we would be resurrected one day. God is good. He's good. He's good. You know, Stephen, he fell asleep in this life. And he awakened in the next life, beholding that same glorious face that he saw in the heavens as the stones came raining down. He made it safely into the kingdom. And we're going to be there with him too sometime. I want to meet him. I look forward to that. And friends, before we close, I want to share something. This is very quickly. This is by way of epilogue, okay? There is one more thing that the enemies of God do in their attempt to stamp out truth, and that is that they unwittingly spread the truth instead. Right? They try to crush it out. It's kind of like, I remember one time when we lived in Texarkana, and there was this spider, and I was like, ooh, spider, and I stomped it, and all of a sudden it was spiders. <laughs> they were everywhere, and I was like, oh, and I went back, and I grabbed the raid, and I came back and hosed the place down, right? Uh, then we burned that house, and no, I'm kidding, we didn't do that, but it, I mean, it, it's true. One of the early church fathers, I think it was Tertullian who said it, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and it's true. Nearly every time in history that the church experiences major persecution, the gospel spreads like wildfire. And while the, you know, the visible church often falters, the invisible church will grow, usually, both in numbers and in faithfulness. Because God, God is at work in his people, even in the midst of suffering and in challenge. And perhaps most often, it's in the midst of suffering and challenge that God is active. But we still worry, don't we? You know, some of us are prayer warriors. Some are prayer worriers. Um, I tend to fall into that second category, but um, we still worry. We think to ourselves, will I be able 
to stand firm like Stephen if the time comes? Will, will I stand firmly with my feet planted on the rock of truth? And I want you to look at this painting. Um, you know, Stephen, he, he's, he's really uh, looking like he's about to get beat, right? <laughs> I mean, he's got his hand up, and I, I, I see that, and, and I, I really like the detail that's in that painting. But see, that's only like the bottom half of the painting. And, and from this perspective, it almost seems like he's got his hand up like as a plea for mercy or, or to deflect one of the stones. But if we look at the rest of the painting, then we see where Stephen was really focused and on whom he was focused. That, you know, who is he reaching toward? And guys, I, I really believe this. I think we will stand firm, and you will stand firm, and I will stand firm if we stay focused on Jesus. Church, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. He took the hatred of the world upon himself, and he, he, he experienced the horrors of crucifixion and he became the ultimate sacrifice so that his blood would cover our sins and then he rose from the dead again proving that those who share in his death will also share in his life and i'd like to bring this to a close with a passage we read earlier today but hopefully hopefully it'll have greater meaning now okay this is hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and i want to add in there stephen let us also lay a high, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I love this description. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Jesus is there now at the right hand of the throne of God. He's standing in the gap for every sinner turned saint who has placed their trust in him, preparing a place for us. 